Hello and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. I am your host, Amy Gray Cunningham. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on this another amazing episode. I have a question for you. Are you someone who struggles to meditate because you can't seem to turn off the chatter that's going on in your head? You're not alone. In fact, according to my guest, Sarah Webb, this is a very common struggle for many people. However, meditation is a key tool to help us relax and heal from negative experiences. Sarah Webb is a healer who helps people connect with the power within themselves. After overcoming a series of traumatic events, Sarah turned to meditation to help her heal. Through her meditation practice, she has learned to lean into difficult situations and see them as opportunities for growth. She is an inspirational speaker who encourages others to live their best lives by appreciating the challenges they face. I know that you will walk away from this episode feeling very inspired and possibly seeing your life from a higher, more loving perspective. But before we meet Sarah, let me give you a sneak peek into this Sunday's episode with Coach Lee Hopkins. He helps people create lasting friendships, and he is also transgender. While being trans is not necessarily the crux of his message, he shares it with us as a part of his journey to demonstrate the vulnerability which helps build intimacy that's needed to develop deeper relationships. Coach Lee is all about creating and establishing relationships based on our authentic selves. For several years, Coach Lee didn't have supportive people who knew who he truly was in his own life. He always thought that he knew what to do when it came to making friends, but many times, even though he had friends, he still found himself very lonely. Does this ring true to anyone? That's because when it comes to making friends, and he means really building meaningful relationships and friendships, what he was doing was causing more damage than he realized. Since then, Coach Lee has dedicated his life to helping others overcome the loneliness that comes from not making close friends. And if you haven't seen him on TikTok, I highly suggest that you check out his videos at Patterns of Possibility. You, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. He is phenomenal. And don't forget to join me Sunday, October 9th at 9 a.m. Eastern as we talk with Coach Lee Hopkins. But since we are talking about Sarah Webb today and the power of meditation, let me tell you about a beginner's meditation workshop that I am holding on Saturday, October 15th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. at the Sanctuary Imports in Charlotte. During this workshop, you will discover a meditation practice that works for you. I promise we're going to go through many different forms of meditation, and we will discover one that works for you. So join me Saturday, October 15th to learn more. Check out the links in the show notes for registration. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple or whatever app you are listening to this podcast on and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok. All the links are provided in the show notes for you. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter. That way you won't miss it when a new episode is available. And if you like what you hear on Butterfly Kisses today, please be kind and leave a review. 
And also don't forget to share it with your friends and family. This way, as I always say, we can inspire others to shine their light and make a lasting impact on the world. Now, please help me welcome Miss Sarah Webb. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on Butterfly Kisses today. It is a pleasure to have you on, and I cannot wait for everyone to hear your story, your transformational process, because it is so beautiful and so perfect for what Butterfly Kisses is all about. So please tell us, how did you get to where you're at today, and who is Sarah? Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me on today. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. Sarah Webb, in a word, is a healer. I heal with my words. I heal with my wisdom. I heal with my occasional dry wit. Hopefully that will be sprinkled in today. (laughs) I love helping people. I've always been a helper since the beginning. And... I had a series of traumatic events. You can call them traumas with a big T. And I think that even if you haven't experienced traumas with a capital letter T, maybe you've had some with a lowercase T. I mean, life is a series of expansions and contractions. And we can't stay in that expansion mode. If we look at the weather, the seasons, the tides, everything is constantly expanding and contracting. And we can see it in the minutia of life too. Our heartbeats, our lungs, day and night, our sleep patterns. And I think that when we have these contractions, these big T or little T traumas or just tough days, if we can learn to lean into the difficulty and to see the challenge as the gift that it is, the gift to grow, then that's when we learn to expand when we want to contract. And that is seemingly simple. (laughs) Sure, it's easy to roll off the tongue, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not always easy. In fact, usually simple is not easy. Simple is usually hard. So you ask about who I am and, and what I do. I, love to help people to learn to get in touch with the power that they have inside of themselves. In 2019, I got sober and came out of the closet. Even though it was the first time I came out of the closet, it's not the first time I knew I was gay. I was, I knew I was gay for about 20 years (laughs) before that, but I just tried to shut it down. And I had a a real big, big T trauma occur in 2008 when I was raped by several men. I am so grateful for that occurrence and for the drinking which ensued. And I I was basically just trying to shove it down and not deal with it. My subconscious mind did exactly what it was supposed to do. And it ignored this very big trauma that occurred in my life. And as a result of getting sober, I finally was able to get honest with myself. And because I didn't have alcohol to numb out anymore, I had to face that trauma that had occurred. And I've done deep hypnotherapy. I've done a number of, I've obviously done talk therapy, but the real key 
to all of this transformation is my meditation practice. When I started meditating, when I was five months pregnant, that was the first time I was sober off of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I began practicing transcendental meditation, TM. It sounds really scary and esoteric, but it is a really beautiful mantra-based meditation that requires a teacher. And I had been trying to find the kind of meditation that worked for me for a long time. I'm a long time yoga, yogi, yogini, if you will. And then I became a a yoga teacher as a formality because I was teaching it anyway. But that's the first time I experienced that, that deep sense of, wow, there's something there. What is that? After yoga, which is a great time to meditate. I I always tell my clients, sit down sweating because that's, (laughs) you've gotten out all the kinesthetic and and you feel like you've accomplished something. And so if we can sit down sweaty, close our eyes and go inside, there's great potential for discovery. And I'll tell you why. There's a physiological reason why meditation works in our bodies. Even though all around us, there's billions of bits of data. It doesn't matter if you're on top of a mountain, at the beach or in a busy city, there's always billions of bits of data, scientists say. And the human brain is pretty spectacular and it can process around 11 million of the billions of bits per second. That's amazing. However, we are only conscious of between 40 and 50 of those 11 million bits at any one time. Not 40 or 50,000, around 45 bits out of the 11 million bits per second that are hitting our brains and our bodies. I did the math. That means that we're conscious. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very little 0.04% of reality is what we're conscious of Wow, the reality that's available to us. So 99.96% of everything that's occurring, hitting our brains and our bodies is being processed by our subconscious mind. This is why we know things hairs stand up on the back of our necks. We just have these gut feelings because we actually are getting a lot of that information directly in our gut and our solar plexus. I'll give you one more statistic and then tie them together. We have five senses, of course, everyone knows, and we have 11 million, another 11 million sensory receptors in our bodies. Wow. But 10 million out of the 11 million have directly to do with our sight. So if you want to access the 99.96% of information that's already available to your brain and your body, you just close your eyes and shut off 10 million of your 11 million sensory receptor accessibility. And then you're able to access that information. It's literally changing our brain waves to a slower frequency, to a frequency that's similar to the first stage of sleep, alpha, because we operate in beta most of the time. Gamma is high, high processing. Below that is, is beta. If we're really stressed, we'd be in high beta. And then alpha is that first stage of sleep or most meditation. Then there are certain kinds of theta meditation. And then there's delta, which is deep, deep sleep. So if you want to go down into those realms, we just need to tap in. You can focus on your breath. You can focus on a mantra. You can have some body awareness. You can do guided meditation. There's so many different ways to access this power that we have inside. I mean, I call it the power within. Louise Hay called it the power within when she talked about affirmations. And when I started meditating, for 20 minutes, twice a day, which I know sounds like a lot, but because I had a teacher 
and my own mantra, which is not a word. It's like a thought word sound that doesn't mean anything in any language. Mm -hmm. I really started to witness. It's what we call in yoga or in meditation, witnessing. It's like that 30,000 foot view of your life where you don't really get wrapped up in the movie of your life. Instead, you're watching the movie. You can get emotional and experience emotions while you're watching a movie, but it doesn't affect you in the same way as when it's actually happening to you. So when I started witnessing, I started noticing my habits and that's what's caught me sober. (laughs) And when I started noticing that I was having to drink in order to be intimate with my ex-husband, that's what happened. I got a divorce, came out of the closet. And so is the story. And it's only recently in the past eight months that I have healed from that deep trauma with some incredible work and an amazing practitioner and, and some other modalities that I won't go into but I am just so grateful for the opportunity to heal because healing takes injury. I mean, if, if you want to build a muscle, what do you have to do? You have to rip it open. When we walk, run, exercise, it's literally changing our muscles by ripping them open. And so healing requires injury. And I am so grateful for the opportunity to heal and to share that healing with others. And I believe that it all starts with meditation. You know, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, a lot of people, especially nowadays, we don't feel like we're supposed to hurt, like Mm -hmm. anything bad is supposed to happen to us. And then you said you're grateful for what happened happening to you. Can you explain what you mean by that? And how can people not expect to be hurt, but you just said, you know, we have to enter in order to heal. What does that do for us? It opens up so much. Just a few weeks ago, I put out a post with a quote by Tony Robbins, you know, one of the greats, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an inspirational speaker, but boy, he started us all off really on this, on this wonderful, at least he's been very inspirational to me, Wayne Dyer. I mean, you name it, there's been a lot of greats, but we do live a very cushy life. And I think, especially in advanced civilizations where everything's kind of what the single serve culture, the drive-through culture, the delivery culture, this, especially in America with customer service. And it's just this high expectation that things should just be unfolding for us. And I think that's why a lot of relationships don't work because people think that it should be easy and relationships take work. I am grateful for every difficulty because of the analogy. And so, so I'm sorry, I digressed from the Tony Robbins quote. He said, trade your expectations for appreciation and the world changes instantly. Mm. And I think that's where that gratitude comes from. If we can see a situation and yeah, it's it's retraining our brains in order to find the silver lining, in order to see how this glass is half full instead of half empty. How to see that the grass isn't greener on the other side, it's green where you water it, right? If you water the garden of your life and cultivate your thoughts in a certain way, because naturally our human tendency is to keep ourselves safe. So it's our brain's job to look for problems. And this is a result of ancient civilization, ancient physiology from Homo sapien, just to look, okay, is, am I safe? Is everything okay? 
And so we're, we've actually conditioned ourselves to look for problems to make sure. And so if we can begin our days with gratitude, which I've been doing ever since February 27th, 2020, I've been making a gratitude list every morning. I serendipitously got that calling right before the pandemic. And let me tell you, it saved my life. (laughs) (laughs) Gratitude really, it shifts your perspective because we're faced with a challenge and we say, okay, how is this ripping my muscle open so that I can grow? It, I listened to this wonderful podcast a few years ago by Shankar Vedantam. I don't know if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. podcast about the brain and, and social science. And he talked about like, if you go on the same vacation every single year to the same place with the same people, the ones that you remember are the ones when you got caught on the side of the road in the middle of a rainstorm with no umbrella and you were a mile from your beach house. It's those difficulties that we remember. When everything is flowing smoothly, smoothly, it's like smooth seas don't make for strong sailors, right? It's not going to build a memory. It's not going to make us grow and it's not going to be a laugh later. And so the key to life, as so many of my fellow inspirational speakers say, is to learn that when we're in the middle of the contraction, to go back to my earlier metaphor, we can lean into it and expand instead of collapsing and saying, oh, why is this my fault? Oh, it's this person's fault. You know, it's this victimhood and blame that most people are caught in. But if we can take responsibility and say, okay, what can I do? Well, there's only two things that we have control over, our thoughts and our actions. We can think that we have control over a bunch of other things, but we can't control how other people respond. We can't control how they interact with us. We can't control a lot of outside events. And I think that a lot of people beat their head against the wall by thinking that they can control something. And then that just leads to frustration, but anger, frustration, right? Frustration is just low level anger. It's just consistent anger. (laughs) It's not going to help us. It's not going to help our physiology. I always tell my clients, when you look at like somebody who has road rage or, or just a momentary road rage. You're driving the car, somebody pulls out in front of you. Maybe they genuinely, maybe they're going for their wife to deliver a baby. Maybe they're a grandma. If we are in the car raging, I can't believe they did that. They're gonna drive away and have no negative experiences. We are the ones, it's our physiology that's suffering. So it's just choosing to, okay, thank you for allowing me this space. I, I guess I needed to back up. I, it's just trusting that the universe has you held and that whatever this difficulty, whatever this challenge is, is actually for our benefit. It's, it's so funny because we watch, I don't watch any television, but people watch reality television. It's always a challenge. And when we're in school, we're, we're learning things and we're having quizzes and tests. What happened? Why do we think that life doesn't have challenges anymore? Why do we think that everything should just be easy? Because that's not going to promote growth. And so to answer your question, I'm grateful because of forgiveness. I, there, me holding on to resentment and anger because of what these people did isn't hurting them. It's only hurting me. 
And so the best thing for me to do is to forgive. How did you forgive something so traumatic like that? What was your thought process? Well, I, I went and saw a transpersonal hypnotherapist because I was dealing with some anger. A lot of people, when they get sober off of alcohol, they have a lot of anger that's repressed and it's coming out and they've been tamping it down because alcohol changes our ability to process emotions it permanently. We, we so readily accept that, oh, I'm celebrating or let's, let's go have a good time or I had a bad day, but we don't accept that it permanently changes our ability to process emotions. So I didn't have that. I didn't have a lot of anger at first, but then I came out, I dated some women. I found the love of my life. We got married. I have a biological child. She has two biological children. It's no joke blending families, especially children that you have. And so not to get, not to get very personal, but I had some anger cropping up in the past (laughs) six months or so. So I was seeing a transpersonal hypnotherapist and she would do holotropic breathing, this very specific type of breathing that amazingly recalls memories. It gets you into, they, they do some work beforehand to get you like, this is what's happening in your life currently. Cause everything that's happening in our life currently is really just a vibrational pattern that we're bringing to ourselves in order to heal it. So it's repeating an old pattern that we're trying to heal mm-hmm. and it, it came up and I relived the experience. I saw all of their faces and I forgave every single one of them. I just came to understand that it was a method for me to heal. It, hypnotherapy sounds really scary. You're totally aware of it all though. Mm-hmm. And I actually took my phone and did like a voice recording of every single one so that I, could, I haven't revisited it because I haven't needed to, but I wanted to make sure I felt safe. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have this idea that you're going to all of a sudden start quacking like a duck, like the hypnotists do on the <laughs> stage or something like that. But yeah, th- that is how, and it's because of my meditation practice. I had been meditating for nearly six years at that point when I went through that process. So it is a meditative experience. Meditation is self-hypnosis. Mm-hmm. It's using a tool in order to hypnotize yourself into those lower level brain waves so that you can relax. And so that the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight turns off and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest is able to be activated. And we can actually like relax into whatever the negative thing that's happening in our lives is. How can someone meditate who feels like they're, they can't turn their mind off and they're going oh, a million miles in a minute. How do they, that do was that? me. That was me. <laughs> I, I tried so many different kinds of meditation and it just nothing ever, they would kind of work, but I never, I would learn a new technique, go to a retreat, go to a Buddhist temple, go to a workshop at a yoga studio, do an online Deepak Chopra course. And I, every time I would put it on my calendar and say, I'm going to meditate at two o'clock in, in my break. And I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to. And then I heard a podcast that was the difference between mindfulness and TM or transcendental meditation. And mindfulness is hard for me because they would say, imagine your thoughts are like clouds passing over. And I'd be like, what kind of cloud and where is it? And is the sky cloudy? And what is it, is it going to rain? I mean, I can't, I'm too analytical. I I was asking all these questions and I couldn't see the thought disappearing ever. And they said, 
TM is kind of mindlessness because you get this thought word sound and you can continue to think you have this mantra. And to me, they didn't tell me this, but to me, it inhabits, if you've ever had a song get stuck in your head Mm -hmm. and it just plays, but you can still think during those times. It's not like the song is dominating everything. You have a song stuck in your head and it's playing. Mm -hmm. It's the mantra does that for me. It just inhabits this spot and I'm able to still think. And somehow boom, all of a sudden you're like, it's been 20 minutes. And I feel so much more relaxed. My, my thoughts are organized, my physiology, like people say they don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to not meditate. It helps my organization skills, my time management. It has been the biggest boon for me in my life, just to be able to, it's a respite. I start my day that way. I do it at some other time, a few hours later or after before I eat, you know, cause when you eat, it weighs you down and mm-hmm. messes up your breathing, but that's just my process. I find that it's better to not have your belly processing something when I sit down <laughs> to meditate. <laughs> so yeah, if people are convinced that it's difficult, I say try mantra. There's other things other than TM TMs got a fee there's so much free out there. There's insight timer is an app that you can download headspace. I'm sure there's others out there. There's so much free on YouTube. Yeah. Guided meditations, Hertz meditations, you name it. And it's just a matter of turning off your sensory receptors, putting your phone in another room, not doing it in bed. A lot of people do it lying down in bed and that's going to, what do you do in bed? You sleep. You're, you're not going to get to that place. So it's good to cultivate a space. And I use my car a lot. I don't do it while I'm driving. (laughs) Please don't meditate while you're driving. (laughs) But before I walk inside of my house, when I know we have three cats and a dog and three kids, I know all these souls and tasks and the trash are going to be coming at me. After I pull into my driveway, I just, I have a setting instead of like one is drive and two is sit back and, and meditate. It's like a meditation position and just take a few minutes to yourself after you arrive at work, before you leave work, after you get the groceries, Hey, I'm on my way home. You have a few minutes. There's pretty much no excuse to not Mm -hmm. meditate or at least have some body awareness, a really great time to not necessarily start a practice, but a great time to do it once you have a practice cultivated is when there's some sort of tough emotion because this lives in our bodies. And so if we're experiencing a tough emotion, if we can sit down and just say, okay, I'm angry with my landlord, my mom, whoever, where does this live in my body? And go to that space and breathe into that space and accept it and just say, what are you here to teach me? What is the same similar event that I'm essentially attracting into my life in order to heal? How did this make me feel when I was 17 at the dinner table and my aunt said that triggering thing? How did, how did this body part get activated when I was on the playground, when I was 11? You know, Because you can trace it back. And with practice, you don't even need a practitioner. This is like self-hypnosis. Like, how can I access this information 
because our bodies have this information. It's already in there. It's just a matter of learning how to get to it. And, and I just say, if you haven't found a kind of meditation that works for you, just keep trying and find the kind that works and stick to it because it's got to be a practice. It's not meditation perfection. It's called meditation practice. Perfection is not something we're striving for. And I think that that's why a lot of people are afraid of meditation. They think they're supposed to be doing it right, or they're supposed to have some experience or, or they're afraid of what might come up like my traumatic experience, you know, but like, let's say you're having a marital troubles, sit down and be like, okay, when have I heard people talk about a therapist, a resource, a book, you'll come up with it. Your body knows. It's so interesting that you bring, you have, you, you have to meditate because it provides the time for you to get everything else done in your day, Mm. which seems completely opposite of what we grow up thinking (laughs) we have to do, 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 do. So how does meditation rearrange your day for you to be able to accomplish everything. I mean, you'd spend 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. And some people are like, Oh my God, that's so much time. How am I ever going to fit that into my day? And you just explained ways to do that. But how can that meditation process actually streamline your day? Well, the Buddha said you should sit in meditation for at least 20 minutes every day, unless you are very busy. And then you should sit for an hour. (laughs) i love it if you look up studies about the benefits of meditation there are so many studies i won't say countless because i'm sure you can count them dozens hundreds of studies about the how it lowers your blood pressure and it decreases cortisol and lowers stress i mean people who have chronic diseases start meditating and the diseases ameliorate almost always it's about making a choice We all have dozens of things, you know, in answer to your question about how we find the time, we all have things that we do every single day. We have our coffee, we call a certain person, we exercise, or we read certain news outlets, or we watch a certain television program, or we step outside and enjoy it. It's about making a choice. And I think that a lot of people come to meditation, as I alluded to, during these times of crisis, out of necessity. But how beautiful if you can make it part of your practice without crisis and before something really tragic happens. That's where I was at. I was already three months away from giving birth, which I did not know how traumatic that whole event would be, (laughs) bringing a child into the world literally is a trauma, that experience. And then the way that it just completely upends your life and your habits and your, your schedule and the cleanliness of your space (laughs) and your sanity and your sleep cycle. And I am so grateful. I don't know if I would have made it. I had deep postpartum depression and it was like, and, and when I went through my divorce, it was just this wonderful oasis I was able to escape to. And the way that it helps you be more organized and the way that it brings clarity, you can find scientific studies where they've hooked up nodes to people's heads. It literally allows parts of the brain that don't normally communicate with one another to connect. 
So that's the physiology. And, and I don't know a whole lot of the science. I know I've given some t- statistics, but thank you because I probably need to memorize some statistics <laughs> as to why <laughs> meditation <laughs> works in the brain. <laughs> that just astonishes me sometimes. I've got a meditation practice as well that I've been doing for many, many years. And I do anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes in the morning, sometimes at night, not always at night, but mostly every morning when I get up. And I think that is the one thing that got me through the loss of my husband a year Mm. ago was having that practice in place as it gave me an outlet to be able to put my grief and to, to release it and not allow it to get stuck within. And by doing that, it's opened up so many other avenues and so many wonderful miracles has come, have come from doing that. So I firmly believe that meditation is so beneficial. It's medicine. It is, it really, really is. And it's free and it's so portable. I mean, I don't know what kind of meditation, I'd love to know what kind of meditation you do. I know I'm not supposed to be asking the questions, but I'd love to know. <laughs> I do several different types. Some, mm-hmm. some I do mantras, some yes. I just sit in silence. Sometimes I will listen to music or do a guided meditation. It just really depends on what you're feeling called. What to. I'm feeling and what I'm feeling called to. And usually yeah. my higher self will just lead me and whatever meditation is is appropriate for that day. After Chuck had crossed, a lot of it was doing meditation with music because it was calming and soothing for my brain. And I could literally just travel. And to be totally honest with you, that's where I found him the majority of the time was in my meditations. And so it was very I wanted to go into meditation because I met him there. And he would meet me, which was so beautiful. And I had so many wonderful synchronicities that go along with doing that. So I I think using the right kinds of music is really powerful, especially for people who are very auditory or who are kinesthetic because it's literally a vibration. Mm -hmm. And there's so many meditations out there that are linked to Hertz. Yes. Music, which can activate certain chakras or promote healing of some sort. And everything's vibrating. I mean, the table is vibrating and mm-hmm. our, our exactly. hair is, vi- everything is a vibration. And so it's about matching that vibration to the music that you're drawn to. As long as it's not blaring, I think a lot of people like, I don't know, I guess that could be a kind of a meditation, like when you're at a concert or something, mm-hmm. but you end up closing your eyes. And I always close my eyes at concerts and I'm like, why am I closing my eyes? I've I've got to remember this, <laughs> be, be present, but I'm just so in this space. And especially with all the speakers and the literal vibrations happening to your body, but you actually feel it in your body and in oh, your yes. cellular level is where you feel the music and just, it lifts you up out of whatever drudge and muck that your, your physical body feels to be in at the time. And um, totally agree. So let me ask you this question. You have this huge trauma with a capital T mm-hmm. that happened to you. You're, you get divorced and you come out of the closet. Mm-hmm. What did your family think? <laughs> My brother and sister have welcomed me with open arms. My brother is gay. My, he, he has a longtime partner, well, four plus years, almost five years. My parents did not come to my wedding and 
they have met my wife, but they still believe that I can pray the gay away. I was raised in a very strict Southern Baptist high school. <clears throat> I'm not, not a Southern Baptist community. I went to Catholic high school and just, it, I knew, and that's why I didn't come out for so long. I knew what they would think. I'm a sinner. Homosexuality is wrong. I'm going to hell. I'm part of the demise of every everything's going to hell in a handbasket because of me and my lifestyle choice which is what they call it mm-hmm. instead of just a state of being and and i mean it's about love and and it's about freedom and it's about being able to be myself and for people don't people to not see my wedding ring and automatically assume that i have a husband just because i don't look gay <laughs> or it's, <laughs> It's a work in progress. I have a good relationship with them, with boundaries, Mm -hmm. and they have supported me getting sober. Mm -hmm. They knew about the trauma. I told them about the trauma when I came out to them in 2019, and they did not care. And now that I've gone public with this, with my book that's out, they haven't really said much about it. Some of my extended family can be of the same mindset, but others we've gotten closer, even though we live states and states and states away because Mm -hmm. they appreciate my honesty. And, you know, this is like an extension of the me too movement. It's just allowing people to know that it's not always what you think. And, and I mean, if one and three women experience sexual assault of some sort, I I didn't report it. There's Mm -hmm. so many more than that. I was afraid. I was afraid to go to the police. I was afraid that they would ask me what I was wearing Mm -hmm. or ask me if I had been drinking, which I had, but that doesn't change the fact that it was a targeted I'm really glad that I survived it because I I blacked out for most of it, but they Mm -hmm. propped me up outside the hotel and we were all on vacation as a family together. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I think it's tough for them to accept that they couldn't have done anything, that I didn't allow them to do anything, but (sighs) this was my process. I, I didn't know, I didn't have the tools at that time as a 27 year old. To, to, I didn't have the wherewithal. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. So I just drank more and mm-hmm. denied it. I told my sister because she was with me and I knew, I mean, it was, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. You can imagine it was every way possible. And I was very battered for a long time physically, mm-hmm. but I just ignored it. And I'm so grateful that I was able to go through life without having to process that until I did have the tools, the resources, the ability to see that, I mean, at the time I wasn't meditating. I wasn't, I was on my own path, but I certainly wasn't doing the deep inner work that I love to do Mm -hmm. now. There's always something new to discover, something new to heal. And I'm so grateful for that. It's interesting because a lot of times we judge people, women, men who go through traumatic 
experiences that they should react X, Y, Z, and they should do it this way. And we judge them for not doing it X, Y, Z. But everybody has their own path and everybody has their own experience that they need to go through. And being able to just love you through whatever process that you're going through or if you have a family member in your life that's going through something like that and just allowing just loving them even though they're not doing quote unquote what you think is the right thing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> but allowing them to just be right where they're at unconditionally love them send them love is so healing well you said some keywords and we'll go back to the expectations mm-hmm. when you trade your expectations for appreciation and the word that really defines that judging is the word should yes so i have been on a mission to not should on myself <laughs> <laughs> a should is always something internal or external mm-hmm. and when it's internal usually it starts externally what society says, what our parents or our whoever raised us or a teacher said we should do. And when you open that up to possibility, I could mm-hmm. apologizing in an argument, honey, I should have said, no, I could have said, if you just change it to curiosity, like I could have said that. And I'm sorry, I didn't. That is so much more powerful than I shouldn't have said that. And so if we can just say, okay, yeah, this is their process. I'm not going to try to dictate how they should react, how, what they should have done. Instead, curiosity about why they did that or why they didn't make that move. That's going to really help to eliminate that judgment that you talked about. Yes. And another thing too, that comes up when you're, when you were talking is the fact that the way we learn who we are is through relationships. Mm. And when somebody triggers me now and they're like, oh, and I'm like, why did they do that? Why are they doing it? Why did they say that? Instead of, I, I flip it and say, what is it that I can learn from this situation? Because they are a mirror for me. Yep. And usually the, it's a trigger for me. And once I'm able to figure out what that is and release it, it's no longer a bother. I'm able to move on. Have you, you ever so wise? <laughs> that is beautiful. I wrote that down. We learn who we are through relationships. That's yes. very true. Yes. I love that concept. Have you experienced anything like that here lately? Or do you have a well, that's my life's work? I mean, <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am naturally a very reactive person, but I found a quote recently. The smart person knows what to say. The wise person knows whether or not to say it. Ooh, yes. So we can have a response, but should we say it? (laughs) Or can we go inside and do exactly as you've done and say, okay, this is a vibrational match to me, even though maybe it's something that I've let go of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's when it bothers us the most is when people do things that we wouldn't do anymore or we would never do and it's showing us a place where we need healing it's showing us where we can have the opportunity to ask that question 
instead of what were they thinking? What am I learning? And even for ourselves, a lot of people can be very self-deprecating asking themselves like, gosh, what was I thinking? You're so stupid. Such a bad word. Oh, I know. But if we can say, okay, instead of what was I thinking, what have I learned? What was I learning? I've been, that, that reminder has come up on my phone every single week, once a week for a decade when I first heard that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and now I get it. I, I don't. And I think, I know that my meditation has really helped with that because with TM, with any mantra-based meditation, even with mindfulness, mm-hmm. part of the exercise is to not chide ourselves when we find that our mind has gone off. Oh, I lost the mantra. Oh, I've gone off on some rabbit hole. <laughs> Let me bring myself back and not say, God, you did it again. Instead, okay, I just learned something. I'm going to gently bring it back and begin again. There's a friend of mine who told this story, and I think of it so often. It was a, I think one of her children had this like Mickey Mouse ABC thing. And every time the child would mess up, it would say, right, begin again. (laughs) And it used to annoy her because the child was always getting it wrong and it was begin again. And after a few weeks, it hit her. Like, we don't only begin one time. We can begin again and again and again. And not say, if Mickey didn't say like, you messed up, how could you be so? <laughs> Instead, <laughs> nope, that wasn't it. Begin again. And it doesn't matter if it's meditation or an experience in life or just trying to not be so judgmental. We can always begin again. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That is so, that's perfect. Begin again. I like that. Right. (laughs) I always ask myself when something happens and I find myself frustrated, I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? And it helps to like flip the switch for me to think of it from a a different perspective because there's always opposite. That curiosity. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Exactly. Instead of judgmental curiosity versus judgment is always the way to go. You've done a lot of deep personal work too. I can tell <laughs> you're very involved. <laughs> this, this past year has been very eye-opening and very transformational for me as a human being and as a spirit. But tell us about your book that's out, Look Lush. Well, it's an art piece. It's my first book. I have a degree in writing and I write a lot. So I've got a memoir in me. I've definitely got a self-help book, probably already written on social media if I just compiled it and put it in order. (laughs) But this is 55 poems, original poems that I've written. The first 21 are part one entitled Look. And it's about our perspective shift and shifting our perspective from seeing a trauma, like the one with the big T that I experienced 14 years ago as a blessing. And it outlines in a very obtuse way my rise from the ashes after that. It does not go into detail. It is not gruesome. But it does talk about how I used meditation to heal. The second second part of the book, 34 poems, is entitled Lush. 
And that's a double entendre or triple entendre, if you will, because something that's lush is prolific. It can be quite green. It can have to do with nature. And it's slang for somebody who drinks too much. And so those 34 poems have to do with me coming out of the closet and getting sober. There are some more sultry poems in there about some of the experiences I had, especially meeting and and dating my wife. But I can tend to be quite verbose if you haven't noticed. And so (laughs) I started to try to hone my writing craft, especially after I became a mom, because I wasn't journaling like I used to. So I set out when I was a new mom to write a haiku every day. And a haiku is five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second, and five syllables in the third, five, seven, five. And it required me to have the practice as well as to be quite spare and convey a lot of meaning in just a few short words. And I think that a lot of people think that poetry is dead, but I've got news for you. Poetry is alive and well, and they're called memes on the internet. They're called (laughs) quotes. Poetry is what, I mean, that's like, everything is short form. It's sound bites, right? Yeah. And so you can read the book in less than an hour. It's available on Amazon as well as on barnesandnoble.com. It's available in print paperback. It's 88 pages and nine bucks or digital download for four bucks. They say $3.99, but come on, that's a lie. It's $4 and it's on digital download and you can find it online and, and also on my website. Wonderful. Oh, I can't wait to read it. That's Thank gonna, you. I love poems. I'm a writer as well. And oh. I I love everything to do with writing and the written word, the spoken word as well, but the written wordy. Yeah. Yes. There's so, <laughs> much, there's so much depth and meaning in the words that you choose when you write and the vibration that flows through those mm. words. Absolutely. Yes. So where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. Primarily. I put out a lot of reels, free information about meditation, about yoga, which yoga has eight different limbs. And then I also put out those quotes and, and little quotes of the day on Instagram, which is the same handle as the link to my website. Both are Sarah Webb says S A R A W E B B S A Y S. So it's Sarah says.com or on Instagram at Sarah Webb says. And I am, I mean, I guess I'm kind of on LinkedIn, but I'm not very present. I don't post a lot. I did a live a few weeks ago with a friend, but she's very big on, on that. I used to have to be on LinkedIn for my job. And so I guess I'm kind of avoiding that, (laughs) but maybe I'll get more. I have lots of connections, like 5,000 connections, but I'll connect with you when I log on every few weeks. If you're an only an Insta, Insta, um, only a LinkedIner. I'm on all, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, and I just started doing TikTok videos. Oh, right. It's been so much fun. I love it. I didn't think I would, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> I need to get on the TikTok because I do the reels and I think I could just automatically upload them, I believe just to TikTok, but yep. one thing at a time. <laughs> I do, I do TikTok and then upload it to Instagram and it's like, one, one, two step. And it's nice and easy. I'll have to get some tips from you. Uh, It's been so much fun. And it's been interesting to, because like I said, I I enjoy 
the the written word and the spoken word and it because you can only say it in under 60 seconds right <laughs> you have to be very precise and learning yes, to be very precise in the way and what it is I want to get across has been very interesting so but I'll have to check you out <laughs> well for those of you who are listening to check out TikTok so is there anything else that you would like to leave with our listeners today about your journey, your transformation, meditation? What is one thing when people think of this podcast that you want them to walk away with? My vision for the world is that everyone meditates. And I know that is a very big vision, but I know that meditation saved my life. And if people would just take the time to get quiet with themselves at least once a day, we would not have the problems that we do in this world. We would have so much more empathy because of the deep introspection. So I just encourage everyone, you owe it to yourself and for the healing of the collective humanity to just take some time for yourself, for your healing, and go inside because meditation is medicine. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> it's free healthcare. It's actual healthcare. It's literal wellness. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, one last question for you. If yeah. you have an hour to sit and talk with someone and you just pick their brain, and whether that person be alive on this side of the veil or who has passed on the other side of the veil, who would that person be? And what would you talk about? <laughs> you make me cry. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I told you before we started recording that <clears throat> John Ramos, he passed when I was 19 and I feel him and I've definitely known that he is with me sometimes and gotten messages, but if I could have one more hour with anybody, it would definitely be him. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's so beautiful. He would, he would probably love sharing with you what he's doing now. <laughs> I have a feeling he probably does. <laughs> He's a beautiful soul. Yeah, he he was a healer from the get-go. Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful people I've ever known. It's awesome when we have souls that we instantly connect with and still can connect with, even though they're not in physical form anymore. Yeah, so. I definitely have felt it. I, I remember feeling him palpably and, and saying his name out loud, like 10 years ago, I was getting in my car and I was like, yeah, I could just, he was there, you know? And I definitely talk to him sometimes. Continue talking to him because they're right there. They're just in the other room. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what I've learned over this past year, they're just in the other room. And I still yell at Chuck, turn the TV down, I can't hear mine. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Well, Sarah, this has been so much fun and I've thoroughly enjoyed having our conversation. And I want to just thank you for being you, shining your light and just being the most beautiful light of Sarah that you can be. 
you've touched me today. So thank you for your presence. I'm just a mirror for you, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you. And remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.